Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Good afternoon, and this is another episode of Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and we have a very special guest uh, today coming all the way from Texas, and it is Dr. James Ross Nazal. And uh, Dr. James, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Yes, uh, I have a PhD in uh, history. Fields are the modern Middle East. U.S. history and uh, women's history. I, I earned my, my Ph.D. at Washington State University. Uh, my master's is in Middle East Studies uh, from the Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington. And my bachelor's degree is in history, uh, also from the University of Washington. I began my academic career at, uh, at a community college in the, in the Seattle area uh, about, uh, about six years after I left uh, the Army. And, uh, and it really was a divorce that, that launched me uh, back into academia, into, into, into getting smart and stuff. Um, uh, the, uh, the divorce uh, was quite, uh, quite sudden. And I was talking to, uh, to my dad uh, about, about what we're going to do and, and, and how we're going to handle this. And, and out of the clear blue, my, my mom said, well, by the way, uh, Jimmy, your, 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 your father and I are, 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 are retiring and we're moving to Arizona. Uh, but we don't want to sell the house yet. So if you come in and take care of the house for us until we're ready to sell it, uh, we want you to go back to school. And, and the, the college was, was right down the road. And, and I, I, never, I never thought, I never contemplated about, about going back to school. Wow. So I, 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 I did go to college right out of high school, but I was 18 and there were other interests for, for an 18-year-old guy. Absolutely. Right. And, I've been and there. So, uh, and so I failed. <laughs> and so uh, I hadn't thought about that uh, until my mom uh, put that, uh, planted that seed. And uh, Wow. Oh, wow. That, Good for uh, your mom. And isn't it funny how, how sometimes life, we, you know, we think this, this door is shutting and, and absolutely a door did shut, but then another one opened up, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, the more that I've lived life, I, I get to see personally how sometimes these things that we think are completely negative don't turn out to be that way, you know, and, and you found great opportunity in this. Very interesting. And I'm looking forward to getting into this more with you. So let me ask you something, uh, Dr. Ross Nazal, in higher education, and since you've been in higher education for a while and you're a veteran, can you tell the listeners something that you see currently that uh, veterans in higher education are doing well? Um, as an instructor, I think what we're doing well is that we reach out uh, to fellow veterans. Um, we, uh, we quickly identify them, we, uh, we reach out to them, we make connections with them uh, in the classroom. We have an affinity uh, with each other, and I would say that, that, that our classroom veterans, our student veterans, uh, have an inherent trust uh, with right. us. And we, I don't know, if, if we see uh, our, our veteran students, if, if, if we see some of us in them, uh, but, but we have that connection. Absolutely. I, so I, I, think, I think that's what we do well. We are able to, to quickly reach out to them. Excellent. Excellent. And you know, that's been my experience as well. And, and doing these interviews, that's a lot of people report that and, and you're right. It's, 
in my time at Eastern Kentucky University, when I was assistant professor, I could tell you it's 90% of the time when a, when a guy or a gal walked into the classroom, I, it would take me a second and I would notice, I'd be like, okay, they're probably going to be a veteran, you know? And, and, uh-huh. you know, usually that was the case. And so that's, it's amazing that you cite that because it, it is something I hear often and something I experienced myself. Um, now, let me ask you something, James, on the flip side of this question, what is something that veterans in higher education could improve upon? What's something we could do better? Um, I think what we need to do better is maintaining that contact once they leave our classroom. Um, I don't think we do a good enough job in, in working across the curriculum or working across campus. Um, I, I think that connection that we build for those eight weeks or those 16 weeks, I think would, would really be helpful to those students if we maintain that level of, of, of connection through their entire academic careers. And, and so it, it wouldn't just be me, it would be all their instructors, it would be all their counselors, it would, it would, it would be everyone who, who, who has any sort of connection with them. What we need to do is, is really create a, a, a strong social safety net on campus. And so I, I think if we all follow these students throughout their, throughout their career, we would be doing them a tremendous service. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned, you know, all stakeholders, you know, all, all faculty, all staff, everyone that they're in contact with. I agree. This is very important. Uh, and something I think part of our COVID uh, era lifestyle has highlighted how important connections are for humans, you know, period. So mm-hmm. this, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. This is great. I think it's so, too easy, too easy to, to say, well, we have a Department of Veterans Affairs. You know, it, right. it's their job. Well, no, we have, in, in my experience, I have more contact with these veterans and, and my fellow uh, instructors have more contact with these veterans on a, on a regular basis than, say, someone who, who, who may be in that, that campus that department. Right, right. You're right. You're so right. And, you know, that is... Uh, one of the Achilles heels of, of higher education is everyone is in the mindset of there's a department for that. There's a department for that, but you're yeah. so right. Uh, nine times out of 10 people don't use those entities unless they absolutely have to at that moment. And, and there's so many more people who are forward facing to the students and interact with them on an almost daily basis. So I, I love this. Um, Dr. James, so tell us a little bit about, about what motivated you to join the military. And then once you got into the military, what was your job and, and details like that? Well, when I, when I was a little kid, when I grew up watching TV, the TV shows typically showed uh, government in a, in a positive light. It showed people working with or for government, uh, shows like Batman, The Wild Wild West, um, Green Lantern, uh, sorry, uh, Green Hornet. And so um, I, I, I fell into that, to that mindset. Um, two, I had a long history of family members in the military, uh, great-grandparents from World War I, grandparents from World War II. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force from 1960 to 1965. And so Part of it was me wanting to pay back what I believed that I owed to everybody else who had, who had come before me. And then number three is that uh, I, I wanted to, to, to someday 
go to college. Uh, I'd hoped to someday go to college. And I did not want my parents to pay for it like I saw them paying for my younger brother. Uh, I wanted to be able to do this on my own. And I, I thought uh, the Montgomery College GI Bill was at that time, you know, pretty good, relatively eh, not so much compared to <laughs> right, right, right. You know, 9-11 or, or, or post 9-11 GI Bills. But uh, at, at that time, it, it was much better than having my parents pay for it. So I, I felt a responsibility okay. to pay for things myself. So those, those would have been the, uh, the three major reasons why, why, uh, why, why I was looking to join. Uh, the military. Oh, I'm sorry. And then I guess the last reason is, is that I saw myself, I'd hoped one day to have a career in the intelligence arena. And so I thought some, some experience uh, in the military um, uh, intelligence would be uh, beneficial. Okay. Okay. You know, some of your reasons align exactly with, with my reasons as well. That's really interesting. But then I think it's interesting, your last point of, of being uh, attracted to the intelligence field with some of those TV shows that you cited, you know, some of those television shows definitely were very uh, spy centric, but pro government shows. So that's, that's great. Um, so when you joined the military, what, what ended up being your job and, and how long did you do that? Well, I, I actually wanted to work in, in Europe against uh, Soviet-backed uh, entities. I, I wanted either Polish or Czech uh, languages. The recruiter told me the only thing available was, was Korean. And when I get to my uh, duty station, uh, I should ask the uh, instructor uh, if I could simply switch languages. And, uh, and I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, by the time, of course, I got to the Defense Language Institute, I realized that, uh, that, that he was possibly pulling my leg. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I started in Korean. And then just a couple weeks into it, um, somebody in the Pentagon or DOD realized that there was a horrific need for uh, Spanish linguists. And so they, they looked for folks to, uh, to, to volunteer, to switch, and I'm, I, I raised my hand quickly. And then I, then I, I, I found myself uh, spending, spending some time in Central America in, in, the, in the last couple of years of the uh, Cold War. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Very interesting. So motivated uh, by Eastern European Cold War languages, started with Korean, wound up in Spanish. Very, very interesting. And so how, how long of a time frame was this for you? Well, um, the enlistment began in, in April of, of 1983, and uh, I, uh, I was discharged um, uh, honorably in uh, July of 1990. Okay. Excellent. Uh, about, man, it was either seven or ten days before Iraq invaded Kuwait. Okay. Okay, so just on the cusp of that. And had you made plans for your transition out of the military, or what was that experience like for you? No, the transition was, was abrupt. It was mechanical. Um, uh, go to the dentist, review your records, be debriefed. Thank you very much. Um, it was, it was very sudden. Uh, it was, it was, it was rather surprising. I, I, I did not think about what was going to happen afterwards, uh, except, uh, in a, in a general idea that I was going to apply for civil servant jobs. Okay. Just, 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 just in a, in a, in a, in a very broad sense, nothing, right. nothing specific, nothing, 
nothing at all. Just, you know, I, 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 I went back to my, to my, to my home city of, of, of uh, Seattle, Washington okay. and, uh, and, and wrote letters to the, uh, to the, to the secret service and to the FBI and to various agencies. And they all said, thank you very much, but we need a, a college degree. And, and, and so I went down to the, um, to the, uh, to the federal building. And at that time they had all the jobs on clipboards. Uh-huh. And, and, and so I would, I would apply for like the, the GS five, uh, GS seven positions okay. um, that, that did not need a, a college uh, degree and, and nothing ever came of that. Not, wow. Nothing, nothing, wow. nothing. Wow. So I just, I just, I just took whatever jobs I could find uh, um, uh, managing a, uh, uh, a fast food seafood restaurant in in the Seattle area. Um, did that for for about a year and a half. Uh, then I, I I told them that I wanted to take uh, my my vacation uh, in order to to look for another job. Right. And, uh, not not a very smart thing. Uh, and they they said, oh, thank you very much. Uh, you can extend your vacation as long as you want. <laughs> oh man. I, sh- I should not have been honest in my reason for that. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I took a, took, took other jobs and, and until uh, the, uh, the, uh, the divorce happened and, and then, and then I just went back to school. Okay. Okay. And so, so you're working these jobs and, and you say you have a, a major life change with this divorce. And as you mentioned earlier in the intro, your parents made a proposition for you. And so, of course, I'm sure like, uh, like myself, you seem very pragmatic in that you were going to listen to your mom. Uh, however, people don't always listen to their mom. What motivated you to, to take your mom's advice and, and take them up on this deal? Well, um, I felt that I was doing them a, a, a service because they weren't ready to sell the house yet. Um, I, I had a brother, I have a brother still, uh, who is, who's seven years, my junior, who they, they did not ask to be the, um, keeper of their house. And, okay. and there were reasons for that. Right. And so I figured I'm, I'm doing them a service. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so so it's, everybody it's, gets it's, to win. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's not just charity being, 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 being thrown my way. Um, and I, and I would still have to pay, you know, for the upkeep and 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 for cable and, and for all the utilities and all the food and all that, all that other stuff. So it, it, it was it was just a, an exceptionally convenient location to the to the community college. And then once I finished the 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 work at the community college, uh, it was about a two block walk to the to the to the bus that would take me across the bridge uh, to the University of Washington. Oh wow! Okay, so it was it was it was just exceptionally well located right right now at this time were you using uh your montgomery gi bill to you bet yeah okay okay 100 percent. and at that time there were there were there were also uh, other opportunities for for on-campus um uh assistance right okay and so then what during this time period what motivated you uh to study what you studied for your bachelor's well, it was it was it was history, and um, I, I've always enjoyed a, a well-told tale. Um, I've always enjoyed history. Um, I uh, it's, it's not that I disliked math or science. I, I just I, I didn't have an affinity. I, I didn't have an inkling. 
I, I didn't have an ability uh, to do math or science. Uh, if, 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 it's not, if, it, if it wasn't for things like Quicken, I, I don't know how, how, how I balance uh, uh, my checkbook. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so I, I, need, I, need, uh, I, I need programs for things like uh, balancing the budget. Um, but I just, uh, I just couldn't do it. And, and I was, I was so fortunate that, I mean, talk about the, the stars aligning. Um, I, I graduated from high school in, 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 in Washington in, in 1982. Okay. And for, for a very brief window, the, the legislatures in Olympia launched a program to try to get high school kids out of college as fast as possible. And, and, and they did that by, by, by stating if you go beyond the minimum of those classes that you had to take in, in, in high school, they would count towards the classes in the university for oh, the wow. discipline, but you still had to take the credits. So for example, if you only had to take two years of a foreign language, but you took four, you didn't have to take your foreign language in college. You okay. still had to take the credits, but you could take credits in anything. Well, that, that applied to me. Okay. And I took every class I could possibly take in, in, in high school. Uh, and, and so I had, I, I had almost nothing to take except for history classes. Oh, wow. So I, I have uh, 100 and almost 180 credits, almost, almost four years of history classes. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, I, I, took, I took an English class because I, 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 I think I was dating a girl or was interested in a girl, and I ended up taking an English class. But, but, but for the most part, it was, it, was, it was just a tremendous amount of, 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 of history classes. So I, I got to take classes in which most students, they don't get to take classes in, 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 their, in their field of study as, as a, as a first-year student. Right, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's usually the carrot, you know, is making it to that junior year when you can start opening up more of those hours to, you know, what people typically say they really are there to study, you know? So that's, that's incredible. That's a great opportunity. Yeah. So when, when you, I mean, it sounds to me like you went deeper than what I would consider a bachelor's because you went so deep in so many hours in history, in the direct content. That's so interesting. That's amazing. So that's so that's affected me now in the classroom when I, I knowing that 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 nine out of ten students are, are not history majors, don't have an interest in history. So now I, I I will ask them, what can I do to make this interesting to you? What can I do? Okay. To to to, to help you get across these next fifteen weeks. What is it about life that that does excite you that we can now translate that into? U.S. history or, or European history or World Civ or, or what is the thing that you can study for these next 15 weeks? Wow, that's awesome. That's, that's great uh, pedagogy because, you know, if someone is, is invested and in, in feeling like it's worthwhile, of course, they're just going to want to perform that much better in the classroom. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. So, so you have deep uh, bachelors in, in history, like above and beyond. And then you, uh, for your master's, you mentioned that it was Middle Eastern studies, right? Correct. Okay. So t talk to us about this kind of pivot or the connection that you have between these two degrees. Okay. Um, I, uh, I got to enjoying staying, uh, at my, at my parents' house and, okay. uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and so many of, of the professors were absolutely wonderful. And, and I did not want to, to, to leave the area. I, I did not even contemplate applying for graduate work. In fact, I, I, I applied for no other graduate schools outside of the, outside of the, of the University of Washington. Okay. But I, I did know that, that, that I did not want a straight history degree. I, I was interested in this, in this multidisciplinary studies program. Okay. Uh, and, and, and I wanted the Middle East studies uh, be, because I, I, I had an interest in the Middle East. Uh, we have a lot of, a lot of family uh, who came uh, to the Middle East. Uh, my dad was six uh, when they came here. Um, uh, and aside to that, uh, he, he didn't know that, uh, that, uh, that, that when, they, when they came here in, in 1948, that uh, his, his father actually lost his citizenship because he fought for the British in, in World War II. He, he couldn't wait for the United States to get involved. Oh, wow. Because okay. of that, he lost his citizenship. His father never reapplied for a citizenship. So they were all here without proper documentation, which my oh, dad wow. found out about when two FBI agents took him out of basic training in San Antonio in 1961 and asked him, what is he doing here and who is he working for being oh, this, wow. being this, this, this Arabic guy. Uh, and so that's when he found out that then he had to go through the process of, of becoming a naturalized citizen. Wow. wow. So I, I had an interest in, 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 in the Middle East. Wow. Okay. So family connection interests. And, and then of course, I mean, there's going to be things that line directly up with history. Did you kind of focus on any of the historical aspects or, or what did you, what did you end up doing for when it was time to write your thesis? Well, um, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was interested in the, uh, land exchanges between, uh, Palestinians and, and Jews or Palestinian, European Jews or Palestinians and Israelis. Okay. Uh, both in 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 the in the in the 40s and then in the in the in the early 90s, there were, there was a lot of of Arabs or Palestinians who were who were selling their land to, to European Jews or, or Israelis in the 40s and then and then again in the early 90s when it seemed that you know right before Oslo when when it seemed like okay. like like peace was breaking out in the right. early 90s, and so I was interested in that, but I was advised to to stay away from that because it was it was it was far too far too new, uh, far too hot, far too potentially um, uh, dangerous for a lot of people to be, to be talking about uh, right. family names and, and, and who was selling this, this land. Uh, as Because, I mean, people over there were, were being killed when it became apparent that, that this person and this family were, were selling land to, from, from, from uh, Arab families to, to uh, Israeli families. So... So uh, I backed out of that, and I said I decided to look at the uh, United Nations, uh, a nice, a nice safe, safe right. bit there, and I, I, I looked at the United States uh, veto on on what the United Nations called uh, the question of Palestine. Uh, why had the the Soviets been um, vetoing legislation up until 1972, and then the United States started vetoing resolutions from 72 to the present? Well, for me, the present ended in 1997 when I when I finished my my master's. So, okay. uh, so I I I I looked at that. I looked at what what resolutions they vetoed, and 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 why from 1972 uh, to 1997. Wow, that's that's my master's thesis. 
Very interesting. Very interesting. And I'm seeing now how uh, your life and your experiences are starting to come into a, a lot of the stuff that you've been studying. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about then your doctoral work and what, what kind of launched you. So location was, was the reason for the masters and having a good setup and uh, you know, obviously wanting to continue, but then what makes you continue even further? Because, you know, that that doctorate, that master's to that doctor jump is an awfully big jump. Yeah, I was, um, I, 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 I was uncertain what I was going to do still after, with, with a master's degree. Um, I, I just, I just did not know. I was, I was still clueless as, as to what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, uh, and so I, 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 I talked to my professors there about about staying for 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 a PhD, and they all told me no, it's not going to happen. They said two degrees in one school was 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 enough. Right. Good they, they used the phrase, you know, academic inbreeding. Right. And, right. And they said don't don't even bother to apply. That that the committee won't even look at your your packet. Okay. And and I guess that's the case because I I, I did apply and within forty eight hours later I, I got the rejection letter so oh, wow. uh, so that was that and so I uh, I decided to go uh, I I applied to then then one other school and that was across the state the rivals Washington State University okay and and I, I did what I what I was what I was told to do which I now tell students to do is you don't just apply you you apply to a program. And, and, and more particularly, you apply to work with or for a particular professor. What is it about that program and that professor that you have to be there? Right. And so I, 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 I said, I want to come here to learn this stuff under this professor. So if you allow me to, to come to your institution, this is what I want to do. And that's the person who's going to help me do it. That's awesome. That's great. So our, I, I gave them my dissertation pitch and said, this is the woman who's going who's gonna to help me out. And they said, okay. That's, that's a excellent advice. And that's, you know, when people, when people ask me, what do you think about me getting a doctorate? You know, I don't, I, I don't know why they ask me, but I get these questions from time to time. I always tell them, don't do it unless you know what you're going to study. Right. Unless you know, unless your dissertation idea is just something that is burning in your gut so bad that, you know, you're going to do something about whatever this problem is, don't even bother. So I love that you're saying that and that you tell people to do that and that it's so specific because um, you're right. And especially nowadays with the ease of online applying, people could apply anywhere, you know, and and just what what's the value in that? So. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about uh, what you ended up, what was your focus, and what did you end up writing about through this dissertation process? Well, I knew that I had to make myself marketable. Um, the last thing this country needs is another white guy doing 20th century U.S. history. <laughs> Got plenty of them. Right, <laughs> there are. And so, and so I, figured, I figured Middle East, I figured women, uh, and, I, uh, and I figured pre-20th pre century. And so uh, I put those in a blender and, and, I, and, I, and I took some classes and I, and I, I already started the thought press when I was working on my master's. And, and, and the idea was uh, to examine the published travelogues 
of American women who went to Palestine in, in, uh, in the 19th century. Oh, interesting. What, uh, what do they have to say uh, and why? Right, okay. And, and ultimately, it was what they had to say was not that particularly interesting. It was that, that they were using their published travelogues uh, to talk about their problems with American society. It wasn't, uh, okay. it wasn't so much, oh, look at the Arabs, look at the Jews, look at the Turks, look at, you know, the Bedouins, wh whatever. It was, I think this is the problem that's going on in the United States, but I'm going to use these people to really talk about right. what I really want to talk about. But I just right. can't come out and say it because this is, this is, this is the 1860s and a, and, a, and, a, and a proper upper class American women don't talk about those things. Very interesting. Very interesting. And so were you able, I would just have to ask a question specifically about this now, were you able to find a lot of writings to, to build your dissertation off of that, you know, could create strong themes? I mean, I assume so, but what yeah, was that yeah, like? Yeah, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how many, uh, a little, a little more than 60 published, published, oh, wow. pu published, and then they had to be published in a book form. That was, okay. that, that was the ultimate thing. Um, a lot of women went to Palestine and never wrote about it. A, 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 a lot of women wrote about Palestine without, without traveling there. Um, for example, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a well-known series, uh, Three Vassar Girls, a graduate student from, from, from Vassar, Three Vassar Girls. Uh, three Vassar Girls go to England. Uh, three Vassar Girls go to Turkey. Three Vassar Girls go to, okay. go to Palestine. The, the author never actually went there. She, she, she collected this information for, for, from other, you know, geographic studies and then wrote about these three girls. But uh, so anyhow, so yeah, so my, my study was, was just women who went to Palestine and then wrote their, their personal travel experiences. Wow, that's uh, really, really interesting. So there we go. Really interesting. So, so talk to us a little bit about uh, your experience in the military and your experience as a veteran and, and how this informs what you've arrived to in academics now. Well, certainly in the, in the, in the military, there was nothing before or nothing since about teamwork, about, about, about trusting other people, about relying on other people. Um, people you knew for years, people who just walked through the door, you, 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 you had to make those, those, those bonds. You, you had to rely on them. And, and, and so I, I try to build those bonds, um, in class. Um, it's difficult with other instructors, with, with other, uh, staff members, because academia, we have this mindset that, that, that we are, we're alone. We're, we're doing our own thing. Uh, especially, especially instructors, you know, my world is, is, is my classroom and everyone should just right. leave me alone to, to <laughs> right. be my own. You know, this is, this is, this is, this is like a, a some sort of role-playing game and I'm, I'm in charge. Uh, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons here <laughs> and I'm, I'm the dungeon master. I'm in charge of this world that I created and no one else can tell me what to do. Right. That mindset is, is is very very prevalent, I would say, in academia, and and I'm I'm the weird one because I'm I'm always trying to get my uh, uh, my colleagues to do joint work, work in teams, and, and I, I think that's what helps me to reach my students is uh, is 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 knowing that that there has to be these connections that we have to create 
uh, strong social safety nets, and that it really begins with something some, something simple as is knowing their names before they walk through that door. Right. Uh, going over those those rosters uh, and and trying to get their names right. And if I don't know, if I can't figure out the last names, at least get their first names. Uh, we have a we have a system in which their 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 photographs on the rosters are right next to their names. So even if I can't get those names exactly right, I, I can at least look at those photographs. Right. Keep my fingers crossed that uh, that they're not too old, too out of date, that they haven't changed their hair, they haven't gained or lost too much weight. And when they walk through the door, I can say, okay, boom, here we go. Right, right. So I can start with those, with those, with those connections right away. I think, I think that's really important. That's excellent. And you know, you, you bring up a good point because that is something that we do cultivate in the military. You know, there are people that you live with for years and build that bond with, and we're expected to have the same output of work as the person who just has walked through the door and is brand new. We've got to incorporate that person into the mix as well. So I, mean, I love I love that approach and I love that you're mindful of that because uh, that's something that, you know, I had professors personally speaking, I had professors that never knew my name. Yeah. You know, after 16 weeks. <laughs> and posted grades via you know a, a number and mm -hmm. so i would never even get feedback unless uh i was directly asked about something so that's that connection so huge and so important you know as you know feedback well, is and I'm, I'm 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 at exactly where i wanted to be at i i one of the reasons why i went for a phd is so i could be a a more a knowledgeable instructor for community college. I, I, I had such a wonderful experience from every aspect, from 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 my classroom to the to the support I got both as a student and as a and as a veteran. That I made the decision there that if I end up teaching, that's 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 where I want to teach oh, is at a community college. That's great. That's awesome. I, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Um, and and you know, like in your story. I remember you saying you started at the community college first, right? And so then that was made, but you obviously went on uh, and had a couple other institutions under your belt. However, this is so powerful that the value is there so much that you made it your goal. And I think that's, that's great to see you come full circle and, and fulfill that. I love it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you guys have been listening to another episode of Veterans and Academics. Uh, today, our guest was Dr. James Ross Nazal, and I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese. And what we're going to do with this episode is any work that Dr. Ross Nazal uh, offers us to link, we're going to link uh, so you can see some of the things that he's been working on and anything in the future, which we're going to talk about here. We're also going to add that in as well and keep you updated as he keeps us updated. So that brings me to my last question. Uh, James, are there any projects that you're working on currently? Yes, uh, I have a couple. One near and dear to my heart is a, uh, is a manuscript, uh, U.S. Intelligence uh, operations in Central America from 1979 uh, until 1990, uh, specifically looking at Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. Um, that's that's coming along. 
Um, but more importantly, uh, I'm writing a, a open educational resource uh, textbook, an OER textbook uh, okay. for U.S. history um, with or that includes uh, content from my students. Um, wow. we, have, we, have, we have 30 chapters so far written. We have, we, have, we have the entire book written for the first part of U.S. history. Uh, we, are, we are through World War II for the second part of U.S. history. Um, it's available freely uh, on the internet. Uh, wow. I use this uh, in, in, in all of my U.S. history classes. Uh, I do this because it, it saves students money. Uh, I, I use student content because they get one experience in, in writing something for inclusion, uh, but they also enjoy uh, hearing words of their fellow students. Um, it, it's, it's not a, it's a book written specifically for, for them. Um, that's the feedback I get from students is that it, it doesn't sound like a traditional textbook. It, it sounds like me and, and the students are writing for them. They right. said it, it sounds more like a, uh, more like a discussion uh, than a, than a, than a traditional textbook. And so, um, if we can get that, that away, our textbook linked, um, I'm always looking for, for, for input. I'm always looking for feedback. I'm always looking for any assistance I can get whatsoever. Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love to do that. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, you've heard it. We're going to link this textbook that Dr. Ross Nazal just mentioned that he and his students have been working on uh, to this episode. And then anything else that he gets completed in the future, we'll link that as well. So Dr. James, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate having you on the show, sir. Thank you, sir. It was my pleasure. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, so today you've heard Dr. James Ross Nazal, and I'm Dr. Luke McLeese, and this has been another episode of Veterans in Academics. Thank you so much for your support. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.